Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue the series with Roy Brown. Brown may be best known for writing the iconic genre-warping song, Good Rockin' Tonight. Brown had a hit with it, then it was re-recorded a year later by his hero, Winoni Harris, who also had a hit with it. Then a few years later, further cementing the song's place in music history, Elvis Presley recorded the song for Sun Records. But there was more to Brown than Good Rockin' Tonight. You know that powerful, quivering, pleading, shouting manner in which most of today's great singers sing? We take it for granted these days, but it wasn't always that way. That style of singing comes from the African-American church. It comes straight from spirituals and hymns. And when Roy Brown first brought that feeling and phrasing to blues music, it was quite controversial. In fact, it was social and cultural taboo. That's right, all that good rockin' and all that soulful shouting that took over popular music can be traced straight back to the blues of Roy Brown. This is his story. If you ever wondered how the blues became rock and roll, there's two words you need to know. Roy Brown. Lots of folks forgot about Roy Brown. They think the Stones dug Mighty Waters, the Beatles dug Howlin' Wolf, Elvis dug Big Boy Crudup, and that's it. Nothing wrong with any of that as far as truth goes, it's true. But rock and roll didn't travel that way. To feel where rock and roll came from, you got to walk in a blown-out pair of shoes resold with cardboard. That's what Roy Brown wore into New Orleans. He carried nothing but a song. It was all he had after hopping the red-eyed greyhound out of Galveston. When that hound pulled into the Crescent City, Roy checked the paper and saw that his idol was in town. Roy thought, if I ever get to be a blues singer, I'd like to be that guy. He's good and he knows it. He just takes charge. Roy picked up a brown paper sack, scribbling down the words to his song, and hoped Wynoni Harris would buy it. He started hoofing on those cardboard soles from the bus terminal uptown and thought about his song. It first came to be as a jingle for the place Roy used to work in Galveston, Club Grenada, part cat house, part nightclub, part reefer store. Roy Brown sang with the house band, the Melodiers, mostly Sinatra and Bing. The lady who ran the Grenada asked him to do a ditty over the radio to advertise the place, make it sound fun. Roy had no problem inventing a colorful cast of characters. Sweet Lorraine, Sioux City Sue, Elder Brown, and Caldonia too, that partied at Club Grenada. After all, his mama's name was True Love Brown. Now, to cleverly explain what was going on, but in code, he couldn't come right out and say reefer and playgirls. It came to him. I heard the news, there's good rockin' tonight. He sold the people of Galveston on the rockin' concept. They came to Club Grenada and rocked. Roy felt confident about that. Now would the same thing work for Wynoni Harris? Roy walked toward a building. 
three stories of gray stone, pink siding, and blurry cube windows, the Rainbow Room. He pushed through the door and saw Wynoni sitting at the bar. Up close, Wynoni looked every bit as flamboyant, brash, and dashing as he sounded on the jukebox. Wynoni smoked and joked with the fans while a lump grew in Roy's throat. Roy just stood there on his cardboard soles, torn paper sack in hand. Wynoni turned a gray eye toward him. What's this? I got a song, Roy said. Wynoni flailed his arms. Oh, not another one of these songs. Yes, I want you to hear it. Wynoni walked off. Don't bother me, son. Roy folded up his sack and left. He wandered down the street toward the next club. It was 2.30 in the morning. Out of the dewdrop in, Roy heard a piano fire like a machine gun. And that meant only one thing, Cecil Gant. When Gant stepped off stage and lit up, he walked right into Roy, who threw the same pitch that sent Wynoni Harris running. Gant was cool, though. Let me hear, he said. When Roy got through, Gant said, I gotta make a call. Hold on. A minute later, Gant called Roy to the payphone. Sing it, Gant said. For who? President Deluxe Records. Roy Brown uncorked his loudest good rocking tonight into the cigarette stinking receiver and after he finished, heard nothing. After what felt like forever, Mr. Deluxe cleared his throat. Will you sing it once more? This time, Mr. Deluxe told Roy to get Gant back on the line. Gant heard the president say, give him $50, don't let him out of your sight. Within weeks, Roy's new record blared out of every jukebox along Rampart Street. He caught on as artist-in-residence at Club Downbeat, where he shouted the blues until sunrise. He made 10 bucks a night, had a room above the dance hall, and all the girls on blackberry wine he could handle. Not even Wynoni Harris could ignore those results. Now, Wynoni had to pay for the privilege to sing a song he could have owned for pocket change. Roy cut his good rockin' in mellow mode. He sang it in that Sinatra Bing swing from Galveston days. Wynoni turned the heat up a little. Now, the two versions battled in Billboard magazine's top 15 and began a revolution. If Wynoni wanted to jump Roy's claim, that was all right. But Roy thought he might just have to cop some of Wynoni's style in return. Roy hit back with his record, Mighty Mighty Man. Now he had attitude, rockin' lingo, and could outshout Wynoni Harris himself. Well, I'm a mighty, mighty man. I'm young and I'm in my prime. Yes, I'm a mighty, mighty man. The music world didn't quite know what to make of Roy's sound. Billboard described his rock and blues shout sandwiched between some woolly jazz licks. One news story hollered, Roy Brown puts blues singing on a new kick. Roy sings the blues with a spiritual shouting rhythm. Roy put together a group called the Mighty Mighty Men and headed out on the Chitlin circuit. Their record smoked so hot, Mr. Good Rockin' and the Mighty Mighty Men played to packed houses from their home turf in New Orleans up to Beale Street in Memphis, all the way to the Crown Jewel. They stormed the Apollo in Harlem. (laughs) 
before the notoriously cold audience even knew what was happening. Tenor sax man Leroy Rankins swung out of the rafters onto the stage, and the mighty, mighty men appeared, all dressed in matching purple suits, blowing the roof off. That night, Leroy Rankins became known as Batman. Roy totally bypassed the MC and provided his own introduction. Good rockin', that's my name. They're gonna put my rock in the Hall of Fame. He sweat through four suits per hour and lost 10 pounds a day working the Apollo. Roy's wife came to see the show for the first time. Afterwards, they sat in a cafe together. The waiter set down a tray of two whole chickens and two orders of fries. Roy's wife said, You know I don't eat much. I doubt we each need our own chicken. He told her, You order what you want. That's for me. Roy and his mighty men rocked the circuit from the Apollo all the way down to Haney's Big House, a juke joint in Faraday, Louisiana. Two teenage cousins, born months apart, biked through the Faraday night searching for trouble. They stopped off at Haney's. Their uncle Lee owned the place. Both kids carried their uncle's name. But not even that could get Jimmy Lee Swaggart and Jerry Lee Lewis admission to the Big House. Outside in the darkness, they could see beams of neon light glowing between the cracked slats in the wall. They heard the PA spark and felt music and dancing vibrate the whole building. Haney's big house rocked. Jimmy Lee and Jerry Lee peeked through the windows. Liquor bottles stood tall behind the bar. Slot machines blinked. On stage, six men in purple suits jumped and kicked in time while a guy hopped from the bar to a table wailing tenor sax. Consider their young minds blown. Many years down the road, after Roy and Batman and the rest of the Mighty Mighties had gone on, somebody asked Jerry Lee what he saw. It was like strolling through heaven, he said. Jerry Lee struggled with how to explain, same as Billboard did in the late 40s. It was like giving birth to a new music that people needed to hear, he said. But even this explanation fell short. Finally, it became clear. Rock and roll, Jerry Lee said. That's what it was. Roy Brown and his mighty, mighty men left Faraday and headed for a recording date in Dallas. They had toured for nearly a full solid year, rarely catching a night off, but they had their chemistry down. They knew exactly what drove crowds wild down to the note. In Dallas, they put it all on wax, the overpowering intensity of Batman swinging from the stage curtains, hands clapping like the devil's choir, and Roy chanting for the people to rock this joint, tear off the roof. Now, Roy was good, and he knew it. He just took charge. He'd never walk in cardboard soul shoes again. Roy rocked so strong and steady, White musicians only took six more years to catch on. Well, I heard the news. That's good to rock it tonight. Well, I heard the news. That's good to rock it tonight. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Beale Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.